Drive into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 47, the Tom Glavin episode. Thank you, Jay. Of Breaking Bats presented to you by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady. And with me, as always, my co-host, Justin Ayers. J.A., I am coming at you from my phone because my laptop is being non-compliant tonight. So if I sound <laughs> a little weird, sorry, it's my phone. But uh, Jay, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? I'm good, man. So yeah, the, we always have to scramble. It's It's always a little behind the scenes for you guys. It's always, what episode number is this? And then it's always now we added the wrinkle of we have to find a player who wore that number to say this this is the their episode. So Brian chose Tom Glavin, and then it was a frantic baseball reference search for me. But I'm going to go with my guy. I'm going to go with Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick, number 47. Um, he also wore four and 12 there for a while, but number 47 when he was with the Nationals uh, there in 2019. So uh, shout out my guy, Howie Kendrick. Um, that foul pole, you can still hear it re- uh, reverberating down there at Minute Maid Park, 2019 World Series Game 7. So I want to give him a shout out. That was a great one. It really was. Yeah, it's it's weird though. We probably should have started this whole trend of of naming players uh, or naming the episodes after player numbers earlier because as we get into the high 40s, the 50s, it's going to be slim pickings until we get to 99 with Aaron Judge. <laughs> That's why I think it's even better though. I'm appreciating the fact that we're going to be picking some obscure guys who are probably my friends that no one else <laughs> is going to know but me. It's going to be in spring training where you have the guy who wears like number 97, who uh, the, the jersey like doesn't even have his name on it. And he's just he's just there for like a week. That's going to be we're going to get to that where it's going to be like the I don't even know who I don't I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but you can pretty you can think of a couple guys who fit that mold. <laughs> Thankfully, baseball reference has everybody in there, so we will we will find it all out. But we uh, so last week we talked winter meetings and. Of course, I think the day the episode came out, I forget, was when Aaron Judge actually signed. So, of course, we did not talk about that big news. Um, goes back to the Yankees, nine years, what, $360 million, something like that. Um, that's a good amount of money. You know, I, I saw so many people that he bet on himself. That was That was the line everywhere. I'm like, it was the, all the like 15 baseball people on Twitter bet on himself and won their, you know, 170 extra million dollars, whatever it was. Must be nice. But the Yankees had to get that done. I've been saying that the whole time. I don't know where they would have gone without him. Uh, it, I don't know what the fan base would have done to the Yankees had something like that happen. Although the Padres, which we will talk about next, did try to offer him an indefinite contract for $400 million when it was actually 14 years, $400 million. But what do you got on the Aaron Judge stuff? It's just unfortunate the timing of when we tape these episodes because I feel like every time we wrap up, we kind of, you know, congratulate ourselves, give ourselves a pat on the back, job well done. Uh, There's just like some earth-shatteringly big news that breaks. Um, 
And that's, you know, that's, that's the risk you take when you do a once a week pod, the, the, the guys who do it every single day, obviously have a little bit of an easier time with that, but yeah, you're right. Nine for three sixty. The Yankees had to do it. Um, I feel like we've talked so much about Aaron judge. He's, we've given him so much airtime. Um, it's kind of nice to put a bow on it. it. It sucks that, you know, teams like the Padres, the San Francisco giants who were players in that sweepstakes for so long. It sucks that he's not going to get a chance to go play anywhere else, especially for me as a, as a noted, not fan of the New York Yankees, but um, yeah, it just would have been odd to see like Stanton and Josh Donaldson carry the load offensively for the Yankees and see like, you know, judge cranking him into Bacovey Cove. So, um, yeah, it, it, if you're a Yankees fan, you love it. He, you know, he preferred the legacy over the, over the money, which I think, um, you know, there was kind of a 50, 50 shot. I honestly thought the giants ran it till the end there. So, but you know, he's going to have that statue out in monuments park to be Yankee for life, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it, uh, bad day for, for NL West teams there. Sad day, it's bad day, Sad day and Arson Judge will forever live on. At least we, at least the Giants had their seven minutes of Arson Judge, and we'll never forget that. Yeah, that like night when when John Heyman had the Twitter fingers and he called him Arson Judge. Like, you're right. That's good. That's a night that's gonna live in infamy. You, you can always hang your hat on that. You can have the three World Series and even years, and you have we had Judge for 15 minutes until John Heyman had to correct it. So, not too bad. And you have to pay for it. That was free. You had judge for free. For free. Didn't cost you anything. Um, Very good. Before we shift gears and before we talk about uh, Brian's former team, the San Diego Padres, we do have a quick ad. So we're do the Padres talk is brought to you by our friends over at Psalm Sleep. Are you having trouble getting enough sleep at night? Because Psalm Sleep has you covered. Scientifically advanced Psalm Snack has ingredients that are naturally found in your body, like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery, and it's helped people everywhere take their games to the next level. All you have to do is drink one serving 30 minutes before you decide to go to bed. Your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements will leave you feeling groggy in the morning, but not some sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer your day. Go to getsom.com, click shop, enter the code BATS, B-A-T-S, at checkout for 10% off of your entire order of some sleep. All right, um, we teased it. The, you know, the Padres, they were in on Aaron Judge, 14 for 400. That would have been that would have been crazy. I don't MLB would have vetoed it like like David Stearns uh, vetoed the Chris Paul Lakers trade back in the day. Just can't have it. Can't can't have it. Um, but the Padres, they you know it, they they shifted gears quickly and they pivoted and they got their guy. It's Xander Bogarts, eleven years, two hundred eighty million dollars. Uh, if you saw our, our good friend Jared Carabas that night when that deal was announced, had four cigs in his mouth at the same time, ripping darts. Uh, don't try that at home, kids. It was, uh, it's probably one of my all time favorite videos I've seen on Twitter. So I just want to give a quick shout out to the rocket. Dude, first of all, that's how I found out. So, you know, dad life, I was asleep way before that news broke on Twitter and everything. So I woke up in the morning, nice and early and look at my phone and I have a text from our friend, Jared, and it's, <laughs> I'm going to drown myself. <laughs> I was like, what happened? And I had Passan's tweet notifications turned on too. So I like saw that. And the next was the, the tweet notification, San Diego Padres signs Andrew Bogarts. And I was like, oh my God, no way. And I just could not believe it. The whole morning I was sitting there like this, like they did it. They really did it. Like they're just going to sign everybody they can and figure out what happens afterwards. And Robinson <laughs> tweeted later in that day, I think it was. Uh, I don't think it was that 
video tweet but uh when he said uh like San Diego is an incredible nickname or whatever <laughs> and I was just dying at that too so San Diego is awesome I'm man Padres are going to be a fun team to watch that's and you know T's and P's to our buddy Jared I, I feel I feel pretty poorly for him right now he's uh I told him on Twitter you know you don't deserve this and but uh man Tough time to be a Red Sox fan right now. Especially if you, you know, compile that with all the other people that, that the Red Sox have decided to let go. I saw a, poor, a graphic. It wasn't very kind to, to Kyan Bloom. Um, it was just like Mookie Betts traded for Verdugo, Downs, and whoever. And it was just like breaking down all the players he he traded away, all the people he didn't resign. It was, uh, it was a tough look. But uh, I did want to go back because the Padres, I think they're just going to try to field an entire starting nine of just shortstops. Uh, I'm curious how, remember we did that video like six months ago where it's like, if you have a, a starting nine of just all one player and I said, Bryce Harper and people were making fun of me. They're like, dummy, dummy, supposed to be Otani. Um, this is just going to be a thought experiment on what if every single player on the field was at one time a shortstop. So you have Hans, Hassan Kim, Machado was a shortstop, Tatis, Bogarts, uh, Cronenworth. Cronenworth, yeah. I'm sure has played shortstop by now. Um, what do you think? What do you think about the fit? I th- I'm never opposed to getting really good players on your team. And Xander Bogarts is obviously a really good player. I think to start the season, he's at shortstop. Manny plays third. Hassan Kim moves to second. And Crony probably moves to first, which he's done before. Um, you know, does it take away some of Crony's – value not playing second yeah maybe but he's so good defensively and the shifts are going to be gone I, I i think he brings a lot defensively playing first base um and he's still such a good hitter i just i don't think it really matters and then but the real question is when tatis comes back what happens and my guess is he's moving to the outfield i don't know um you would think that they had some sort of conversation with him prior to signing Xander Bogarts. I, I would, I would guess. Um, I hope so. I, I don't know, man. I mean, it seems like he really wanted to stay at shortstop, right? But uh, it, the way it works out, you know, he's obviously. Toddy's obviously very athletic and can play the outfield. So he'd probably be a very, very good outfielder just given time out there. Uh, and then you're talking, I mean, that lineup is, is serious. Uh, they're, I can't wait to watch that team play when they're full, you know, you got Juan Soto in there too. I mean, it's man, what a time to be a Padres fan. It's a great time to be a Padres fan. Uh, Bob Melvin's got his hands full though, trying to figure out where these guys are all going to play though, because like, you know, Soto played primarily right. And then there's, I heard a little rumor going around that, you know, Tatis might go to right. So then you have to make Soto go play left, which he has played before, but it's just interesting. And you're right. Jake Cronenworth, I think is the real interesting thing here where it's like, does, does Cronenworth provide the kind of power you think out of a first baseman? If he's going to be full-time first base, which is by all indications is what I've seen him penciled in as like, You'd ideally like to have somebody a little bigger, a little more power. Like, how many home runs did, did Crony have last year? The guy had 17, um, you know, 21 the year before. So, you know, that 15, 20, 25 maybe. So, 
Um, do you, you're right. You, do you sacrifice some of that just for, you know, everything else you're getting in the lineup? In this case, I absolutely think you do. I think Crony's just such a good baseball player. Regardless, you stick him anywhere in the infield and he's going to be very, very good. And he's going to just do what he does hitting. And yeah, you're going to get your 20 homers and, you know, you're going to have a, just a quality at bat every time. Um, my guess would be with the DH spot, they probably try to maybe go for that big bopper in the, in the DH spot there. Uh, you know, Profar's still out there. Maybe they, they do a reunion with him. I, it's it's interesting, but I, I don't think, you know, outside of how many absolute studs are there at first base in this league that just hit a ton of homers and are great. Like, you know, how many Paul Goldschmidt's are around in this league? Not a ton. I think uh, I think it's shifted away from that slightly at first base. And, you, you you know, you can put a really good athlete there who can just play. Um, but, if you know, if you got Jay Cronenworth playing at first base for your team, you're going to be in a good spot. That's what I, I have, think. I have two names for you. Uh, how about a Will Myers reunion? Get a little, play a little first base, a little corner, a little DH, because you're going to need their, – their DH spot right, right now is kind of up in the air. I've seen a lot of names of people that I unfortunately haven't really heard of up until this point penciled in there, so – um, I think that would be a spot where maybe you could sign maybe Will Myers in like a one-year deal. Or what if you get Trey Mancini to come in, play a little DH, a little first base, just throwing it out there. It wouldn't be wouldn't be terrible. A little Orioles reunion too with uh with Flash and Manny. I mean, it sounds, you know, that sounds like it would work to me. I do think the one other thing that they have working in their favor is, you know, with the DA, you talk about all those guys you can help give those guys some days off by giving them a DH and move people around. Let, let Toddy come in and play shortstop if you want, or, you know, put Hassan Kim over there and, and slide crony back to second, whatever it is. So I, I think they're, you know, they're going to work out that some way, but yeah, my guess is they're not done. My guess is they're probably going to get another pitcher as well as a, some sort of some sort of bat. Maybe uh, I think Luke Voigt's still available. Maybe they bring back Luke Voigt, see if he can hit some homers for him. Um, bring a like you said, Will Myers or Mancini, the the, the right handed bat there that can play some first base. It's I it's it's going to be so interesting. But you know, Preller's never done. It seems like so. I can only imagine. We're going to take this, and in 12 hours, they're going to sign somebody that we'll miss and have to talk about next week. You have to do an emergency press conference, be like, we were right. We, As we predicted, the Padres have signed a, a power-hitting DH first base type. Um, I, I think just the only uh, last couple things on this topic is just like another 11-year contract. I don't know how like their agents all just got together in a room. They're like, all right, guys, whatever it takes, we all have to get our, our, our players 11 years. Um <laughs> Bogarts, Turner. I mean, the, the list continues. I, the, yeah, 11 years. What a what a number. Good for them. I wish I had an 11-year contract. That'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> but San Diego is a phenomenal nickname, and I'm sure that's going to be said plenty of times this season. And, and I guess the last thing would just kind of be, like we talked about Manny Machado has an opt-out clause after 2023. Soto can leave, I think, the year after. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this just the ultimate like insurance like for both for both of them? Like, you know, if Manny leaves, you obviously can can shift Xander Bogarts to the third. Like if Soto leaves, you you have that bat in the lineup. So it's like 
I think it's just a, there's there's no bad parts to this deal. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the ultimate insurance. I said this last week. I don't think Manny is going to leave. Uh, if he opts out, maybe he tries to get more money, whatever. I I think Mandy, Manny is in San Diego to stay. Uh, Soto's obviously, I, I'm sure they want to keep him. He's going to cost a lot of money and probably test free agency unless they blow him away with something. So, you know, I – I just don't think it's ever bad to have good players on your team. Like I said, it's just uh, keep collecting them and good things will happen. I I can't wait for this season to start and see see what they do. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm already just thinking about which which Padres jersey I'm going to buy. It's probably going to be a Manny, to be honest. Uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be all in. I want to take this ride with you guys. I want to come on this journey. Um, and I just want to be I, I just want to be I want to feel part of the Padres fan base, which I think up until this point. I think I've done a pretty good job of that. I, I think, you know, the Ben and Woods crowd has helped us out a lot with this. So uh, it's kind of eased my transition, but yeah, I would like to add them onto my list of teams that I root for on a full-time basis. I think they'll welcome you with open arms. They, they definitely welcomed me. And I got to give a shout out to, to our friend Woodsy. He had a great point. Um, made a little video for Twitter, at least after the signing, he was like, you know, you people who are complaining about years, the 11 years, it's just irrelevant. Like it doesn't, those years don't matter. We're paying and we're, you know, working for years one through six. And after that, who cares? Like, let's, let's do this now. That's such a good point. Um, but I do think Bogarts will age well and, and he'll be able to, he's still going to be a very good hitter for a long time. So I, I, between the Mets, the Padres, the Phillies, I'm just super excited to watch that kind of baseball this year. And the NL is just loaded. It used to be the AL kind of ran the, the Major League Baseball, but now we have now the NL come back with a, with a fury. Um, there was another kind of under-the-radar free agent that I wanted to touch on a little bit. It's your old teammate from Tampa, Kevin Kiermeyer. Um, he, he signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. Kevin, Kevin Kiermeyer is 32 years old. He's played 10 years with the Rays. 63 games last year with the Rays. He batted 228. Um, hip inflammation the entire year. He kept getting cortisone shots and he had surgery on the hip. Um, can can you talk about like when when you have a healthy Kevin Kiermeyer? Just like I, do not enough people are are not enough people aware of just how great defensively he is. I mean, I feel like that's what that gets lost in the shuffle of like these big power hitting guys. But like if you love defense, I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer is the guy for you. KK is phenomenal playing center field. He is one of the best. I learned so much just from talking to him. And watching him work, if he stays healthy, man, I don't know if there's a better center fielder in the game. And what that team in Toronto, I mean, they can hit, right? That team can really hit. So you stick him in center field to play defense and, you know, give you what he does at the plate, which is a professional at bat each time. But he saves runs, and that's why the Rays kept him for all those years and valued him so highly because he'll – you know, stop the other team from scoring. I love that signing. I, the only thing I don't like about it is he's playing, nothing. There's nothing worse than the, the drops turf. It's brutal. And that probably has played a part in his injury history all these years. And he's just going to another turf. Now I never played in Toronto. The turf can't, it can't be worse than the drop, but, uh, 
you know, he plays the game hard. He plays it reckless in the outfield. He's going after everything, trying to catch it. I just, I hope, I hope that he can stay healthy. It would have been nice to see him on grass instead, but I love the signing. I think he fits in great there. Obviously knows the AL East and it's going to be weird seeing him in a, in a Blue Jays uniform and not a, not a Rays uniform though. It is. Uh, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm on his baseball reference page right now. If his, his like fielding stats, his like defensive runs saved, it, it's, there's a lot of them. And also if you're looking at his war, um, if you have 162 games of Kevin Kiermeyer, his his uh, 162 game average WAR should be 5.6. It's a five and a half WAR player if he plays the entire season. So uh, I think you're right. We we got to give more love to Kevin Kiermeyer. Um, defense, it's look, it's not going to end up on Sports Center for a five like a 500 foot home run, but like, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I would take Kevin Kiermeyer as my everyday center fielder, no doubt. I mean, that's. God, yeah, yeah, defensive run saved her. He just has so many. <laughs> like, he's unbelievable. He really is. Is this right? 38? <laughs> 38 in center field in 2015? I didn't even know it was possible. Um, they just, man, and that's 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 why they paid him what they did down there in Tampa. He, I mean, he is as elite as it gets at what you're talking about, saving runs and playing defense and, you know, catch him not only – catching balls but throwing runners out i mean the relay he started the relay there was a couple years ago in the playoffs where they they got altuve out at home plate um and everyone was going crazy it was an unbelievable relay from from kiermeyer to willie adamas at short who you know made a perfect throw to the catcher to cut down that run i think it was the timing one um he just man he just he's all over out there and and you know, you watch him work in pregame and, and just at practice and stuff, and you know why he's that good. He's he he doesn't stop. He's he's a great, great teammate. I love that fit there. I rooting for the Blue Jays last year, man. Hopefully they'll pull it out a little bit better this year and, and KK will be a big part of it. Three gold gloves, one of those a platinum glove. So yeah, not too shabby there in Toronto. Um, all right, we have two last quick things uh before we get to our interview for this week. Uh, we have our fudging awesome moment of the week, and it's a it's a fun DC one. You love the DC stuff. Our fudging awesome moment of the week is brought to you by our sponsor, the Original Fudge Kitchen. You can find them online at fudgekitchenswithans.com. We ship fudge and sweet treats all over the country. For our Philly, Jersey Shore listeners, if you're heading down the shore during this off season, they have locations in Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor. Ocean City and Cape May, go check them out. If not, they ship all over the country and you can get it at fudgekitchenswithans.com. Our fudging awesome moment of the week this week, uh, it comes to us from Kevin Durant. It's not somebody that we talk a lot about on this podcast, uh, obviously, because the sports are different. But uh, Kevin Durant, if you didn't know, he's from Prince George's County, Maryland, DC guy through and through. Uh, he was asked by a reporter up there in Brooklyn. The day that Aaron Judge signed, she's just like, hey, Kevin, you know, what do you make of Aaron Judge signing this big deal? Um, and Aaron Judge and Kevin Durant said, quote, I'm a Nationals fan. I really don't care about Aaron Judge at all. And I just think that's the perfect. It's so concise. It's to the point. Don't ask me about Aaron Judge. An attitude for life. And it was funny because, you know, the the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets are in D.C. today to play the Wizards and uh, the Nationals screeched mascot. Gave him like a custom cherry blossom jersey with like a note and um, with his name and number on it. So 
Uh, yeah, I love this. Don't talk to me about Aaron Judge. Not a Yankee fan. I think it's hilarious just to shut it down like that. And like, I don't care. I'm not a, I'm not a Yankee fan. I'm a, I'm about repping the hometown. Good for him. That's, that's funny. I think KD gets a lot of hate on social media, but I also think he's low key pretty funny. So I appreciate, uh, I also appreciate it. He stopped using his burners. He, he switched over <laughs> to being a, a full-time clap back on his main uh, Twitter he account. Does, he does do that. It's, I, I love it, man. Just like the dude's like, you know, has been arguably the best or one of the best couple of basketball players for years now. And he's just out here on Twitter, like telling people to shut up and, and all these <laughs> things. And I think it's hysterical. I think it's so funny. <laughs> the, dude, the dude has everything and he's like sitting on his phone telling people to shut up on Twitter. It's great. <laughs> Love it. Talk that shit champ. Keep doing that. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're very pro Kevin Durant podcast on here. Um, well, cool. All right. We have our last but not least for this week, we have our top five. So uh, the the top five for this week, it's going to be top five starting pitching duos in Major League Baseball. We saw this graphic. I think I saw it on Reddit and MLB.com had it top 10. But we wanted to do our top five. Uh, I will start us off with number five. I'm going with Joe Musgrove and Hugh Darvish. I just talked about my love for the San Diego Padres. These two at the top of the rotation. Uh, we saw what they could do in the playoffs. It was a fun one to watch. So that is number five. Number four, it's going to be Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. This might just be recency bias with the World Series run, but uh, especially Zach Wheeler. This guy, he's guy's got ice water in his veins. The big moments do not bother him at all. One of the big game arms in our game right now is Zach Wheeler. So him and Nola are number four. Number three, I'm going with Max Fried and Spencer Strider, the Atlanta Braves. Strider might be one of my most uh, might be one of my favorite pitchers to watch. He's one of the most electric pitchers on the planet. Him and Freed, I think both had ERAs that were hovering around two and a half. So yeah, give me those guys at number three. Number two, I'm going Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Uh, these guys are getting old, and that's the only reason why they're not number one. You have to think they have to regress at some point. So I'm just banking on them to regress slightly, but not uh, these. My number one guys will not regress at all. I'm going with Shane McClanahan and Tyler Glass now, the Tampa Bay Rays. Give me a full year of Tyler Glass now at the top of your rotation with Shane. It's just going to be unstoppable. So that is my uh, that's my five through one. Those are really good ones, and I definitely have similar ones. Um, I'll start with my number five. I'm gonna. I think moving forward, these guys are going to be arguably even higher. But it's Framber Valdez and Christian Javier. Christian Javier, obviously, some really good stuff in the postseason, and Framber Valdez is just uh, what the quality start king. Um, unbelievable. So they're going to be my number five. Number four is going to be Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman, my guy, Kevin Gosman. Uh, you know what you're getting from Gosman. I think Manoa is going to take another step forward and just become an absolute star even more this year. Uh, and he's always talking shit to Garrett Cole, which is pretty funny too on the side. Uh, and then the top three for me is going to be chalk like MLB.com's. I do Cor Corbin Burns is unbelievable the cutter he throws is literally unhittable like 98 percent of the time so just ridiculous and brandon woodruff is phenomenal too number two it's you know my guys shane mcclanahan and tyler glass now it's just electric stuff absolutely electric uh they could very easily be one and it might be they might be one a month into the season but 
Scherzer and Verlander right now, I got to give the nod to them just because you said, you know, they're getting old. They got to regress. I'm going to give them the nod because they've been doing it forever. They're still doing it. And I just got to give them that respect. And I will say the, uh, the picture here of Verlander in the black Mets uniform is pretty badass. Not going to lie. Just side note there. Big fan of that. I think you had that in your top five uniforms too. It was the Mets all black or the Mets black. Dude, jerseys. I love, I think anytime a team in any sport has a legit like black alternate Jersey, it just looks badass and great. But there's something about that combo for the Mets, the, the black and the orange and blue just looks, I don't know. It hits different. And the fact that they, it, they stopped wearing it for a while and now they brought it back and the type of team they have, it's just, it's great. It just goes together. Perfect. It does fit. You know, who else has a really cool, uh, black, all black, uh, uniform combination left hand up exactly. or are we, the commanders. <laughs> so go Durs. <laughs> go Durs. Well, um, you know, they're the only team to beat my birds this year. So good for you. Even though Taylor Heineke faked a roughing the pass or whatever it was at the other game, but that's neither here nor there. Big brain shit. That's what that is. Um, <laughs> I also wanted on the record that if Kevin Gosman likes another Instagram post, uh, I will move him into my top five. Uh, he's a one-time Instagram liker of ours. So um, Kevin, <laughs> Orioles fan here, big fan. Just throwing that out there. Tap <laughs> the like button again. That was so sick. I think it was on like you, the one reason you're like, my AL Cy Young pick is Kevin Gosman. And I look like oh, like three months after we posted it, it was just as like Kevin Gosman, whatever his Instagram handle is, liked it. I was like, what? what? So sick. That was great, dude. So sick. Um, we, we talked a lot about the Mets here today, but we're going to talk a lot more about them with our guests this week. Uh, it was a great one. We, we taped this out of order, but we just did it. I mean, how sick was this one? Yeah, so the, the guest for this week was Will Salmon, the Mets reporter from The Athletic. He was great, man. I mean, we, we, we wanted him on last week with all the craziness at the winter meetings. It just didn't work out, so we had to move it. But it worked out, too, because – the Mets did a whole bunch of shit, and we got to talk about it with them. So uh, talk about Verlander, DeGrom leaving, the signing of Senga and, and, and Nimmo. We were just so much to talk about and an interesting insight there. Um, he said it – I think he said it perfect. Like, no matter what happens this year, this team's going to be very interesting. So he's got a great job to do, and I know you enjoyed talking to him too. Yeah, I, I like just getting, like – you know, some more context added on to these stories. Cause you look, you see like the Mets have signed this guy, the Mets lost out on this guy, but to hear him kind of break it down and put it all into context and to have you come off the top rope there with firsthand experience of, of Kodai Senga, like it's going to be a great listen for the people. I'm really excited. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, I forget if I said it, but that's how I originally started talking though, because he was trying to get some info from Japan about those guys, him and uh, Senga and Yoshida. Uh, so it was cool that they ended up getting them. Um, very excited to see how both those guys play since I saw them in Japan. So I'm just interested to see the translation there. But before we get out of here, we have two last quick words. We wanted to give a shout out to friend of the podcast, Actions Over Words. It's an apparel brand with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words. Uh, they donate $5 of every sale to different charities around the world. So be sure to check them out at actionsoverwordsapparel.com. Use our promo code N4L. Get 10% off of your entire order. Tees, hats, hoodies, and more. And finally, uh, check out our Not For Long Media family of podcasts. Tons of great stuff. Tons of great podcasts for you to listen to. Uh, the Colin Thompson Show with our guy, Colin. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Also, be sure to check out 
uh, some of the other podcasts we have on our network, Two Girls, One League, and Aji's with Harry Mays and Jason Martinez. Let's just send it over to our interview with Will Salmon and hear from, from, him, uh, from the man himself. And joining us today on Breaking Bats is Mets reporter for The Athletic, Will Salmon. Will, really appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, we wanted to have you on last week, but obviously it was a very hectic time for you and your job. We were talking both those days. Um, the Mets made a splash right away, signing Justin Verlander at the winter meetings. You were out there. Um, but we just want to thank you for coming on, and we're excited to hear some Mets talk, man. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it. It was funny, like, those two days, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever time it was, yeah, that's great. Nothing's going on. Don't worry about it. All of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, they may sign Brandon Nimmo. They may do this. They may do that. They actually do some of that stuff, too. So I think every day they did something, I felt like. Or if they didn't actually do it, they were very, very close, and they ended up doing it the next day. So definitely busy, but I think it all it all worked out. Um, have plenty to talk about. It's been a busy couple of weeks with this team, for sure. Yeah, I you know when we were when we were talking, I was figuring that was going to be what happened because that's just kind of my luck anyway. And I said it to J.A. I'm like, yeah, we're shooting for this, but I don't know. They'll probably sign Aaron Judge or something when that happens. But uh, me and Will, Jay, I don't even know if I told you this, but me and Will started talking because Will messaged me on Twitter uh, to ask me about uh, Senga, who the Mets ended up signing, pitcher, and we'll talk about that. And Yoshida, who ended up going to the Red Sox, just to get my opinion on them coming from Japan and some of the scouting report there. So, you know, I thought it'd be another – after that, have well, it was before Sega signed, but after that I thought he'd be a great guy to come and talk about the Mets and how exciting the season was and, and all the things that were happening there. But um, go ahead, Jay, get us rolling here. Well, let's actually start with Kodai Singa, or Kodai Singa, I should say. Five years, 75 mil, the, the newest starting pitcher in that Mets staff, like – it's interesting. I was looking at like the breakdown of like what that deal entailed. It's full no trade, but there's an opt out after the third year, which a lot of people were saying was very player friendly for a guy that hasn't really hasn't been to the big leagues yet. Like we can talk from like your perspective and we can talk about Brian's perspective being over in Japan, seeing him. But like, what did you think about the the signing for the Mets? And did you agree? Is that kind of like a an oddly player friendly like situation to have him brought into? There were so many like different variables with this for obvious reasons. There's an inherent risk, I think, by the Mets with a guy signing a guy to a multi-year deal to plug into a rotation that is supposed to be ready to win basically a World Series, right? With it, but the way their payroll is, that's the expectation is to at least get to the World Series. And it's crazy to say that, I know, and maybe they'll have a great season and people will feel differently. I just don't see it. Like with a payroll like this, you got to make it at this point. Like it's a historic level. The commitment is there. It's a really good team. Um they had a first round exit last year. So it's definitely on pressures on here. And so I was kind of wondering about the contract leading up to it uh, because we just heard more and more of the connection between the Mets and Sango. And I had asked a couple of agents, like, what do you expect? Um, you know, I, I haven't seen this guy in person. Um, don't really have great comps for a historical perspective because of his age and his accomplishments. So I didn't really know. And I got, I got a lot of variants. I got people saying, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a hundred million for five years. Maybe it will go, maybe he'll want six to bring the annual average value down um, for that type of deal. It ended up being, like you said, uh, five for five for 75. 
And if you look at the AAV, the annual average value, that's what, $15 million, right? So they're basically paying him as basically a fourth starter. That's fourth starter money, especially in this market. That's a similar deal to what Taiwan Walker got with the Phillies. And from the Mets perspective, I think you make that because the guy, from what I understand, and Brian can, to, to, Brian can attest to this a little bit more, he could be a number two for you, I think. Maybe, maybe a three. And I think the end of it that I got from scouts was maybe this guy becomes also just a reliever, like a high-end reliever if the command isn't very good and if that takes shape. Um, even so, like that's a risk that if you're the Mets, you take because of who your rotation consists of and also who your owner is. Like you can afford to make this gamble and the upside is there. So that's basically how I felt about it. I think that the the opt-out is also a good point and I think it makes it a little bit more player-friendly, like you said, and it gives him that idea that, hey, if I do prove myself, which by all accounts, he has the character to put himself on the map and, and work at it and, and try to make that happen. But if he does, he could get he could fetch himself some more money on, on the open market in a couple of years. Brian, I, I'd love for you to jump in here because I, I was reading all about his electric stuff, 101 mile an hour fastball. Like, do you think that'll play in the in the in the MLB? Yeah, I do. I think he's going to he's definitely going to have success. I think what Will said right there was a great point too. that. Worst case scenario, you can stick him in the bullpen, and I do think he'll be a pretty good reliever at the worst case. Uh, I would say as a starter, he probably needs to work on a third pitch a little bit more for me and from watching most of you know, the bats on, on my against my team. I would say he was mainly fastball splitter, and the splitter's legit. It's a really good pitch. Uh, the heater's got some ride, so it makes it tough because you said he's got that velo, but – the splitter needs to start so up out of his hand or it's going to be in the dirt that it makes that high fastball tough to lay off of. And the splitter, you know, we've talked about this on, on here before. The splitter is just something that you don't see as much in the major leagues as you do in Japan. Um, so I think that'll probably give some guys problems to begin with, but not a great slider or cutter or, or curveball, something like that to kind of go with it. So, I'm sure he can work on that and probably is right now to, to make that transition. Uh, the other point I would have is that he's going to be working with a smaller strike zone for sure. So that will be interesting to see how that goes. But I do think that he will have success. I think he's a good pitcher. I think the work ethic is there by all accounts. Uh, the, like you, like Will said, the character is there by all accounts. Um, he just comes at you. Like he's got that kind of mentality. So I did, I did like him as a pitcher. Um, and I said before this, uh, you know, I think he is a safer bet than Yoshida. So I am interested to see how he throws because I do think he's a pretty good pitcher. No doubt. I, I did see today also when we're taping this at Chris Bassett, uh, I'm assuming this is kind of be that the Chris Bassett role that Senga is going to fill Bassett 63 mil over three years to the Toronto blue Jays. How involved were the Mets or how active were the Mets in trying to bring him back this offseason? Or was it just kind of like a foregone conclusion, you think, that the team was just going to let him walk? Yeah, I think once – I think DeGrom, of course, was the first domino here. And after DeGrom and after it was pretty obvious, or when it came out at least, that he was going to sign with the Rangers, I think the Mets had a couple of things in mind. First, they wanted to get Nace, whether that was Justin Verlander or Carlos Rodon. Their main guy was going to be Verlander. That was their primary focus, it sounded like. Um, they went out and got him. But also, at that same time, they wanted a mid-tier starter as well. And then they looked at it like, okay, we also 
are looking at Senga and Bassett maybe as like wild cards because Bassett's market was said to be pretty strong, even though he had the qualifying offer. People liked what he was able to bring to the table as far as his consistency goes. Um, he's He was arguably the Mets' most durable or most consistent starting pitcher during the regular season because Max Scherzer uh, ended up missing some time and Bassett didn't. So, and, and he was really, really good the whole, the whole season really up until the very end of it. And he was also really good the past two years um, before that. Uh, he's had a nice run as a starting pitcher. He deserves the deal that he got. But yeah, I, th I was under the impression that it was Verlander and that it was a mid-tier starter, which they ended up also getting, and Jose Quintana. And then it was, okay, we're also going to try to get Senga. And, and Senga and Bassett was kind of like the wild card situation because, like I said, Bassett's market was pretty high. And then Senga, they didn't really – I'm not sure – um, how many teams were in it, but I'm sure there were a handful and it was probably pretty competitive. And so you can't really say like, we're going to bank on this, but I think that was their plan to get those three starting pitchers um, to make their rotation just as good, if not better than it was last year. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation, whether that is, I think a lot of it will depend on Sanga. Um, for, for like, that's why I was always interested in hearing what Brian had to say, because I had people tell me, and, and Brian, you could say that one way or the other, but because there were so many guys who threw that splitter in Japan, I was like, I had to press people about it. I was like, hey, like, how good is it really? So I am curious, like, from your perspective, like, is it the best in Japan? Like, is it the best that you saw as far as, like, splitters? And also, what I also liked about his story was, like, we talked about the character side of it. From what I gathered, he was also a developmental player at first. Like, that's how he kind of started his career as, like, a three-digit player. I guess that's what it's called. And I wasn't all that familiar about it at first. Not an expert on NPB or Japan baseball, so I had to brush up very quickly. Um, but those were the two things that were my main things with when I was talking with you and when I was talking with other people was, you know, just tell, talking to me more about that aspect and also about, hey, is this splitter legit because it's – it is a pretty common pitch over there. Yeah, I would. I don't. I don't know about the uh, the developmental player thing, but if he was, that's definitely that's definitely a cool story. That's like JA. Um, they call them triple digits. They literally wear like a number one hundred and ten or like zero zero so like double oh seven, and they're out there playing in the minor league. So they you can't get called up to the top level in Japan until you have a double digit number. Is basically what that means. So it's just kind of a longer track to get there. Um, I would say the two best splitters there to me were probably uh, him and uh, Yamamoto, who's the other kind of like ace over there in Japan. But I actually had some success against Yamamoto's splitter. I think I had a couple doubles. Uh, I had a couple hits off his splitter. I did not. The, the home run hit off Sango is on his fastball. And other than that, I think he walked me. I don't think I touched one of his splitters. So I guess I'd have to go with, with saying a splitter. It's legit. It's just – and I just think for Americans, it's just such a different style. Like we just – that's the biggest difference. Like he, he has a velo to go with it, which isn't always the case in Japan. But the splitter, like the depth of it and the, the velocity to go with it, it's – it's just something we don't see as much here without, you know, seeing spin that hard slider like we're used to. 
one thing too, I, Brian, I wanted to get your take on is that I'm looking at like, I'm looking at this Mets like pitching rotation and I, I see Senga penciled in as that, as that number three, can, you know, three, four, somewhere in there. Um, do you think that they looked at like the, the upside of Senga and that fastball as opposed to like, you know, and also probably the age too, cause he's four years younger than Bassett, but like, um, I'll, I'll start with Brian, but like, do you think that they, they value the upside more with Senga as opposed to like the consistency with, with Chris Bassett? Yeah, I would think so because I, I, exactly the upside. I think if Senga pitches as well as he did in Japan for all these years, like you're looking at a legit number two, at least there, like he's got good stuff. And if he can uh, develop that third pitch, I mean, that's it's you're talking about a whole new pitcher. And I know he worked with driveline before, so they could be trying to, to work on something like that too. Cause if you, if he throws a good cutter or hard slider or something like that in there too, I mean, that's, that's a tough at bat for sure. And, and Will, what do you make of this up, this revamped Mets rotation for 2023? Yeah, I think that's the right question to be asking is, is it, is it a better bet? The, the upset that you get in Sanga perhaps versus maybe the consistency that you were getting from, from a, a Chris Bassett or maybe even somebody else for that matter, who they could have signed. Right. Um, there were other guys who were, comparable i would say maybe not as good as bassett was but they're right there or close to it um so that's really the big question i think they have enough behind him and in front of him so that like i said it it doesn't make or break the rotation i guess maybe in the conversation of is it better than last year type of thing sure but this was a rotation that was already by like Fangraphs f war better than the phillies and the braves actually you combined all those totals and and, and compare them to both those other teams <laughs> Before they even signed Sanga, it was actually already better. And that's what you would maybe expect out of a rotation that includes Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, <laughs> plus, you know, two or three other guys who are pretty decent, if not above average. Um, so, yeah, they, they could definitely weather some some trouble or weather some adversity that, that Sanga may face as far as switching over. Um, so I, if I'm in their shoes, I just go back to the idea that it's a Steve Cohen team. So it's like, you know, wh- why the hell not? I mean – Dude, well, I didn't. I didn't even think of this, but I don't know why. But yeah, you, he's got Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer to learn from too. So, you know, he comes over here with this kind of talent and the polish that he already has, and then he gets to hang out with those two guys and learn from those two guys. And I'm sure he'll ask a ton of questions, and they'll be willing to help him out. And I mean, now that I think about it even more, I would expect him to have success with that. I I do think that's another huge plus there that I didn't think of before. Absolutely. I, I did see, I saw this on Reddit earlier and I thought it was really interesting. It's that the Rangers signed DeGrom for 185 million. And then the Mets spent 187.7 on Justin Verlander, Senga and Quintana. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Jacob DeGrom and just kind of how like that all, cause it, it was weird. I, I was reading about like when DeGrom went to Texas, I read that he didn't give the Mets a chance to counter their offer. Um, was that just because he knew that the Mets weren't coming close to that, or was that part of like a like a gradual distancing of himself to the organization? You think that's a great question. So I remember back, not the winter meetings, but the GM meetings. This was first week in November. Uh, Billy Epler, Mets GM, has his press conference, and uh, I just asked him point blank, like, "Do you get the impression that this guy wants to be here? That this guy wants to be, continue to be a New York Met?" He said, yeah, um, and that they were in basically lockstep throughout the whole process of like, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep ourselves in communication. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to share information or like whatever the other side hears will be in such that kind of thing. 
And I think that they were up until a certain point and up until that certain point was probably maybe a few days before or a few days before it became official that he was going to the Rangers, I would assume, um, because clearly like that deal doesn't get done in a matter of a couple of hours. Like there's, there's a lead up to it. Right. Um, so like I would assume that it was at least a couple of days um, where things were getting a little bit serious uh, from what I gathered. It was I think he officially signed on a Friday and I think it was that Thursday where I think got really, really serious within like the Texas organization where other people um, were hearing about the deal possibly transpiring. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm necessarily surprised that he didn't. I mean, this was a guy who, um, I mean, he came out to, you know, simple man as his, as his, as his walkout for taking the mound. I mean, he was not to say that he was not comfortable in New York. I don't think that's the case. He clearly excelled and I don't want to make too much of that because he was able to do his job and he was able to be the best pitcher in baseball. Um, but I mean, I just think that it got to a point where, he got a ton of money for somebody that hasn't pitched that much in the last two years. Right. And I guess he had to know, or his agency had to know that maybe the Mets were not going to approach that number, because if you're looking to get into a bidding war, you extend it, right? Like you tell the other side, Hey, this is what we got. And can you match it? So the fact that he didn't, I think that tells you one, that maybe he just didn't want to stay in New York to begin with. And then secondly, Maybe he also thought that that was going to be the best he got. And frankly, when I was polling agents or and scouts and just the executives in the game about what this contract could look like, people said, like, you know, maybe in a perfect world, if you're a club, you give him two years. That was never going to happen, right? Um, then you go three or four. But the team that was probably going to sign him was going to be the team that ended up giving him five, right? And there was probably only going to be one team that did that, whoever it was. Ended up being the Rangers. So in that sense... Not surprised at all. Brian, I want you to put yourself in the mind of Jacob deGrom here because we talked about this on the podcast. I think it was around the All-Star break. He was just asked, and he's like, are, point blank, are, Jacob deGrom, are you going to exercise your opt-out? And he says, yes, absolutely. Very vocal about wanting to opt out. Like, What factors do you think kind of led to you know this distancing and eventual his uh, decision to play elsewhere, you think, Brian? Well, first, I think he was going to opt out no matter what because he would have got more money even if it was going back to New York. But I think we'll was right in the sense of playing in New York is not for everybody. It doesn't mean he didn't enjoy his time there, but you're living in the city. There's a lot of traffic. There's all those things that go along with it. And I'm not saying that I personally wouldn't play in New York if given the opportunity or like that people don't like it while they're there, but you know, he's from the South. He's from Florida, or at least he went to college in Florida. I think he's from Florida, but Texas is an appealing place. I mean, it's not – that stadium's awesome, first of all. Second of all, it's not, like, right downtown in the city. There's other areas around where you can live. Um, there's no state income tax to go with all that money that they just offered out of. But, uh, obviously, they want to win. They're making moves. We said this, too. Bruce Bochy didn't come out of retirement to, play. you know, manage a, a shitty team or anything like that. So, uh, I just think it's it's a different appeal, and – while he had, I'm sure he enjoys time with, with New York. Sometimes, you know, there's other factors and you just kind of want to move on or, or play somewhere else too. But I do, it, it is leaving that team, that talent. It was definitely, uh, it's definitely interesting too. Well, how should, how should Mets fans uh, remember Jacob deGrom as he goes on to a new organization? Well, uh, he, 
and, and Mets lore, it's Tom Seaver <laughs> and then everybody else, you know, it's like, and like, is he number two? I don't know. Maybe Dwight Gooden's number two, but if he's not number two, he's number three. And in my opinion, he probably is number two. Um, the difference, uh, a big difference too, though, is that Tom Seaver and Doc Gooden, they won world, they were on teams that won world series. Um, DeGrom was not right. Um, and that's really nothing to, to do with him, but that's just how you kind of get remembered, I guess. It's part of your story. Um, he was a guy that unfortunately would give up one run and would lose one nothing after pitching seven innings. Like that's that that was his life as a New York Met for way too long. That's pretty sad. Um, it's a shame that also that he was not able to, you know, be a huge part of last year's success and last year's run. I mean, he only pitched a handful of games in the regular season, had the one playoff start. Um, it's a shame. It really is. But I mean, the guy won a couple of Cy Youngs. I mean, he's at when he left because of the injuries, he was the best pitcher in baseball. And then right when he came back, he was the best pitcher in baseball again, pretty much. Um, so sure, he faded down the stretch a little bit there, but probably would have ride the ship. I mean, he's never been bad. That's also the thing. I mean, this was a guy who uh, played shortstop for a while in college. Um, people didn't have the highest of expectations for him originally. But then once he got to the major leagues, he was never bad. Like there was never a stretch where you said like, you know, DeGrom's losing it or DeGrom's had a poor stretch. It never happened. He was always good. And most of the time he was elite. And so, yeah, I think you remember him as right behind Tom Seaver and then the conversation for number two. And like I said before, if he's not number two, he's right there with Dwight Gooden tied for second or if not third. It's funny you mentioned the run support thing because that was always like if you look at Jacob DeGrom's stats, he never his win-loss record doesn't jump off the page to you. And I just remember from an outsider's perspective, always just feeling bad for him because you're right, it would be a lot of like he would give up one run over seven or eight innings and he'd lose one nothing, or he'd give up two runs and he'd lose like two to one. Like it I, I feel like that may have contributed, right? Because like that's gotta be the most frustrating thing for a, a pitcher to go out there and pitch your heart out every night and then just have a team that, you know, for a little bit there, they weren't they weren't backing him up on his starts. So um, that I'm sure he didn't love that. <laughs> no, it's like you were waiting for him to like throw a no hitter and lose somehow one of those days, right? <laughs> like it was like, man, this isn't just not really great to watch. I mean, he had one of those Cy Youngs that like, that was when people really started to be like, yeah, the win, the win stat does not matter like whatsoever. Like we got to give this dude the Cy Young. He's the best pitcher in baseball. Um, so maybe that's part of his, <laughs> maybe that's part of his like lore and his history. It was just like changing that whole conversation through that completely out the window um, in the mod in like modern baseball. So that's a good thing at least. It's fascinating to think about. Uh, I did want to touch on kind of briefly here, the, the pitcher that the Mets brought in to replace him at the top of the rotation and Justin Verlander. Um, two years, $86 million for a guy that's turning 40 years old in February. I mean, obviously you're getting the old Tigers band back together with Max Scherzer, but like how quickly did they pivot to Mac or to Justin Verlander? And you know, what do you, what do you make of the new uh, one, two combo there at the, the New York Mets? So before the Grom even signed with the Rangers, they were meeting with Verlander. Um, they met with Verlander, I think about a week or two beforehand, um, just because they always knew that, Hey, this was a possibility that the Grom was going to leave. Um, they had to operate that way. I'm not sure how big of a possibility they thought it was, but they wouldn't have been doing their jobs if they if they first didn't consider it to be possible, and then secondly didn't act on that possibility. And so good for them that they were like, "Hey, like let's do this. Like let's meet with Verlander." Um, and at that point, I was I was almost under the assumption that he was going to go anywhere else, right? Like the Dodgers were a team to be considered for him, uh, maybe a couple of others, but right when they met him, I, I gave them a lot of respect, the Mets, because it's like, okay, you're not just waiting for DeGrom to make his decision and then, you know, going from there. No, like they were 
they were like, okay, if DeGrom leaves, we also have Justin Verlander. And, and he makes a lot of sense for this team because, yes, he's older. Yes, he'll be turning 40 in February. Um, but this is a guy that also won the AL Cy Young Award just this past season, right? So we're not talking about somebody that was kind of like, eh, you know, he had a three and a half year, right? He was, he was good. And like, maybe next year he'll be good again. Like, no, this guy was phenomenal. I mean, this, and he didn't make as many starts, I think, just because he was coming off the time off and the Astros with their deep rotation didn't really have to push this guy. Um, they've led the AL West by like a hundred games or something like that. So it's not as if they were, you know, pushing for this guy to, to clinch the division. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And just from like a contract standpoint, the deal makes a lot of sense. Like you're paying this guy essentially to be very, very good for two years, right? Because there's the opt out after the third. Um, so you're basically paying after the second, I should say for the third. So you're paying, you're, you're saying this guy has to be good for two years. And that's really their window because for this team as it stands. I think that this team will be very good. Don't get me wrong for the next, for the foreseeable future, but um, the way that it's constructed right now, like we were talking about before, this is a world series type roster team, or at least as far as expectations go because of their payroll, Max Scherzer has the ability to opt out after this upcoming season. So it kind of helps them in that way too, where it gives them that ACE in the card, just in case that also happens where they're in the same situation as the Grom. But even so, for this for this upcoming year, 2023, you have those two guys who are getting paid a high AAV figure, but they're not locked up like long term where it's like crippling you. Um, that's why in a lot of ways, I actually like the Verlander deal probably more than whatever Carlos Rodon ends up getting, because with Rodon, you're signing him for, you know, what, six, seven years, maybe um, it's going to be a long deal and he deserves it. Don't get me wrong, but it's a long deal. Whereas with Verlander, you're probably getting elite production. And you're in and out of the deal really quickly. So I, I like it from both sides. And from Berliner's case, he's getting paid, you know, the, the best starting money, starting pitching money in baseball, right, right up there with Max Scherzer. So why wouldn't you? Brian, are, are you concerned at all with, the, you know, his bad postseason and maybe his age factor to like this, you know, what, what uh, does anything concern you about JV? First of all, I think, well, those were all really good points. But Jay, when he was talking, I literally, you're reading my mind. I was thinking about, I was talking about, his absurd postseason stats and just how crazy that is. But, you know, I, I, it, it doesn't concern me. I, it's, it still blows my mind that those were even like stats. And that was even a thing that we talked about because of how good he is. I just, I don't know. It's crazy. I, I think he's going to be great. I think him and Scherzer are at the top of the rotation in a playoff series. You definitely don't want to see those guys. And man, I think, you know, the Mets, I grew up in Philly. I'm not a, a New York sports fan by any means, but I do think the Mets are an exciting team. And, like, to me, becoming a team that's easier to root for because they're interesting and because Cohen's willing to go for it. Like, I, I appreciate the product they're putting on the field and the, the type of team that they have for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned uh, the, the payroll for next year. I wanted, uh, Will, to get your take on this. I looked – and I, I don't know, I could be off, but I think I saw that their, their 2023 payrolls, 349 million, the biggest ever. And then you have to add 70 million in luxury tax onto that. Does that, does that sound right? Yeah, no, that, that's, that, those aren't, those aren't fake numbers. Yeah, that's, that's real. That just, <laughs> that's, just that's blows my mind. Like, yeah, did I mean, you think five times that like, more than Oakland has, so. Right, <laughs> is, is it? Is, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, Oakland can't, and they just traded Sean Murphy today. So there, there's probably be less. So, um. Does, does that does that kind of like blow your mind a little bit just thinking that like this Mets team is going to be the most expensive team ever? 
it's crazy, right? I mean, I had written about just their roster projection and like where else they could spend money if they wanted to, because clearly that they don't have any issue doing that. And uh, the first sentence I wrote was like, the only thing higher is going to be the only thing higher than their payroll is the expectations, because that's what happens when you when you invest all this money, right? It's like, especially as, as Brian alluded to with being from Philly, it's the same deal here, man, in New York. It's like, they make all these moves just to give you an example. And people are like riping about like, where, where's the hitters? Like, you know, like you sign all these pitchers, like, okay, like, what, what about this lineup? Um, that was actually pretty good last year. And it's a fair gripe. I mean, these fans, like, I'm not knocking the fan base at all. It's it's definitely a fair gripe. You play in the same division as the Phillies and Braves. Like, you got you to gotta keep going here, I feel like. Um, but, yeah, man, it's it's a, it's a crazy payroll. But, like, I like the people, like, who are on Twitter who are saying it kind of sucks that, like, this dude's getting penalized for, like, spending all this money. Whereas, like, you have other owners who are, like, not spending any money basically. And like, that's okay. That's, that's better. Almost. It's like, there's something wrong there with that picture. I feel like um, it stinks uh, from that side of it, but yeah, just from the strictly Mets, man, like they have, this is what happens when you have somebody who has is worth like what, $17 billion and happens to be a Met fan. I mean, like it's a, it's a bad combination for other owners. I love it, dude. Like, as if obviously from a player's perspective, the more money spent, the better. But I, yeah, why do people care that he's spending money to win? That should be the goal, right? Like, what do you want your, the owner of whatever team you're a fan of, wouldn't you want them to be spending $500 million to try to bring a World Series? You know, that, that's what, when I, growing up a Phillies fan, that's what I would have wanted, you know, but I hope, I hope it, pisses off the other owners and pushes them to, to spend more money because really what are you you're seeing i mean the mets the phillies san diego other than that who's really pushing to spend that money i mean i guess the dodgers were but they kind of maybe aren't as much so far this offseason but you know or you're the braves and you're smartly locking up all your young mm -hmm. studs for what are even you know more and more looking like the best deals ever, even though those guys are making good money too. But I love it. I think it's great. I hope it, it wakes up the other owners. But I was uh, – and I, <clears throat> I do want to talk about Brandon Nimmo in a minute, but what do you think is next for them to add or what do you think they need to add because the Phillies and the Braves are really good teams too. Yeah, I think with the Mets, like you're going to have to – in some ways chase these marginal wins, right? Like what I mean by that is like, you can't just ignore the fact that these regular season games may also matter for you, especially with the way the playoffs are, the format is these days, right? Like last year, for instance, they were in that deadlock with the Braves. Braves end up winning the division, even though they were tied, right? Because they had the tiebreaker after winning that final series. Um, so you got to be cognizant of that, where like the marginal wins probably are going to matter for you. Like it matters finishing 101 wins versus 100 wins. It just probably will because of who you play with in that division. Um, and a lot of a lot of teams don't look at it that way, I guess, because a lot of teams are like, okay, like let's just get in the playoffs and like take our chances that way. It's a crapshoot, blah blah blah. Like let's see it happen, kind of thing. But if I'm the Mets, I'm I'm continuing to pursue like upgrades to the lineup. Um, I'd like to see them continue to add to their bullpen as well. Um, that's an area where they had to really do a whole sort of makeshift because of the amount of guys that left to be a free agency, Trevor Williams, uh, Adam Adovino, Seth Lugo. Um, they had to re-sign Edwin Diaz, of course, which they did. 
Um, they, and they've made some strides there with David Robertson, uh, and they've made a trade for Brooks Raley and a couple of other guys. But there's yeah, some work to be done there. And I also think that they need to upgrade their bench a little bit. They probably need another outfielder just as uh, maybe a fourth outfielder, DH type, to help there. Uh, you have your outfield set, and Jeff McNeil could also play a little bit of uh, left field. But still, I think um, somebody who could play center field in a pinch or a backup would serve them pretty well. Uh, but, yeah, that's the main thing for me is just – chasing those marginal wins and and maintaining the flexibility going forward. Right. Because we're, we're talking about how much they're spending uh, for 2023. But if you look at the guys they have locked up beyond like say the next year or two, it's really not that crazy. Like they, they don't really have these monster deals. I mean, Lindor is a big contract. Um, they just signed Nimmo who you mentioned, which we'll talk about, but Aside from that, like they're not on the books for like these like crazy deals that they had for 10 years. Um, they have a couple, right? Like I said, but um, that was part of the point with the Berlander deal making sense for them. It gives them that flexibility to go somewhere else and to keep this thing going um, because they could always just sign somebody else in two years. What, what do you make of Brandon Nimmo? Eight years, $162 million. Uh, he's he's obviously getting older. He plays a good center field, but he's he's had a hard time staying on the field here lately. What uh, what did you make of that when you saw that? Yeah, with him, um, you know, his injuries, they're not like they're like chronic problems where we could say like, okay, this guy has a really bad like right shoulder, right? It's always, it's always barking on him. It's always giving him fits. He's had like several like weird injuries. Um, a lot of them, like he's, he slid somewhere or he did this and he has a, a an ankle or he had, he, you know, whatever it was, right? It's like these, I don't want to say these random things, but it's a series of like these more acute injuries, um, things that are not like long-term issues probably. Because if they were, I don't think they meant to give him this deal, right? If he was dealing with something that was costing him major time, there'll be a lot out there um, and like flashing red lights, like don't do this type of thing. Like that wasn't really the case with Nemo. It is definitely a fair concern though of, of maybe his style of play. He's just not the most durable guy. I mean, he gets hit by pitches a ton. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's always leading the league in that, or he's right up there. Um, he, he plays really hard. He goes really hard. Um, and there's a downside to that. It puts you in a situation where you're liable to get hurt. And that's happened to him a few times. Um, but when he is on the field, there aren't too many other center fielders that are that that are better than him. Aaron Judge clearly in free agency was in a class of his own. But in that next tier, it was Brandon Nimmo. And then there was another huge drop off between whoever else was next. Like there was not another player in that same tier as Brandon Nimmo. And so for the Mets to lose him, that would have been huge. He plays center field. And he also bats lead off for you. And he he's pretty much the epitome of your team. Right. He's he's somebody who gets on base, he takes pitches, um, he does that kind of thing, makes contact, also hit a couple of home runs. So he really fit with the identity of this team too from that standpoint. So you were losing a lot and their next course of action, like the alternative would have been probably maybe signing somebody like Kevin Kiermeyer um, to play center field, maybe moving Starling Marte from right field to center field at the age of 34 when he's – a pretty good bat for you that you want to stay healthy um, and you don't want to continue to increase his workload. So none of the alternatives were all that great. I felt like at least. Um, so it was always plan A was Nimmo. They had to get that done. I felt like I thought it was a huge priority. Um, it had to be right up there with, you know, getting an ACE and re-signing Edwin Diaz. I think you needed to do all three of those things. No doubt. Nimmo has been, I guess a little under the radar for some baseball fans, but he's, he's been a good player out there and all base percentage machine for sure. 
Um, my last two questions before I send it to J.A. to finish everything up are, first, what if they're not – what if this fails? What happens if the Braves and Phillies, again, are just really good, the Padres – are awesome out there. Let's let's say the Mets sneak into the playoffs and lose in the first round again. What what happens then? <laughs> that's that's great. That, this is how I know you're from Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, that's that's uh, definitely a nightmare scenario for this team, right? Um, I think it will be a really interesting story of how a, a team with a four hundred plus million dollar payroll fails. Um, because it, it definitely, right. You could, you could write up that script, right. Where it's like, okay, Max Scherzer, Verlander age catches up to them at the wrong time. Um, you could continue to write the script and say, you know, Edwin Diaz regresses a little bit, blows a few more saves. Um, he's not this impossible machine-like guy that he wasn't last season. You continue on. I mean, saying it could be a flop. I mean, like you can, you can just keep going and it's like, it's not all that like, out of the realm of possibility, right? There's a certain percentage of possibility where all this does happen with this roster. Not to mention the fact that Alonzo and Lindor and a couple of other guys are coming off phenomenal seasons. And just the chance is that like, there's going to be some regression there and that's just natural, right? Like you're not going to hit 40 home runs and drive in 120 and, and hit for a decent average, get on base at a high clip every single season. They also avoided the injury list a lot. Their position players did. Um, Marte got hurt down the stretch but really that was their only guy that went down for a decent amount of time. Like they largely avoided injuries. And so that could be something that just law of averages catches up to them. So what happens if then, I mean, I don't know. We haven't really seen like Cohen, like invest all this money and then like have to react to the negative result. Um, I don't know I would assume that there'd be some firings. Uh <laughs> I assume that there will be like a, a huge course of action there because yeah, these expectations are through the roof. They have to be at this point. For the record, I did, I picked the Mets to win the world series in our predictions before this past season. So I am, I'm an unbiased baseball journalist, there you but go. Uh, that's awesome. I don't for, and for also for the record, I don't think that's going to happen, but man, it's just like, with that peril, like you said, if it were to happen, we go, oh shit, what? Yeah, <laughs> what's next? There? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I also don't think it will happen, just because. I mean, we could we could write that script like I did, like fairly easily, and, and maybe maybe some of it happens, maybe it doesn't, but there's a higher likelihood of it not happening just because of who they have. Right, we're talking yeah. about two guys at the top of their rotation. Who, yes, they're on the older side, but they're still at the top of their game. I mean, you can make the argument that Max Scherzer has gotten better um, the last couple of years. If you look at his numbers, Verlander just won the Cy Young. So it's not exactly like these two guys who are 40 years old who are having some ho-hum seasons. These are two still the best pitchers in baseball. No doubt. I just love – it's going to be another great season, man. I mean, the Phillies are definitely tough and the Braves are tough too. And then, you know, you get into the postseason and you talk about the Padres as well, and I'm sure the Dodgers will be there because – they just always are these days, but uh, it will definitely be fun to watch. And the last question I have for you is how's Buck show Walter and what's it like being around him? <laughs> He's great. Um, you know, you never really know like when, a where a question and an answer is going to go. Um, you know, it's somehow, some way, like you'll ask about Tommy Hunter and you'll get a, you'll get an answer involving like the 1989 Yankees somehow. <laughs> Um, you just don't know where it's going to go. 
but that's him in the press setting kind of thing um, where he's pretty amusing, pretty entertaining as a baseball guy. Um, I think the cool thing about him is that he could tell whether like you watch the game or not because he sees everything and he doesn't miss much. If, if, if anything, um, I think we saw it during the playoffs where he was even check, checking like Musgrove's ears and stuff like that. I mean, he's going to play every card he has and he's going to be a stickler for the rules and he's going to know every single rule and every single ballpark and he's not going to be unprepared. And I think guys in that clubhouse respect that um, above all else, like above all, like the, the entertaining shit and like him, him coming back and, and, and missing some time and being older than everybody else. Aside from all that, they respect the fact that this guy is prepared and he's going to, he, he cares and he cares about winning. And I think he was the right guy for the, for this team, uh, right, right guy for this job, especially because the Mets, you know, before last season and, before they got Showalter, they were not known, I guess, for like the right reasons as far as as far as um, what people thought about them in baseball. Right. It was like, oh, you know, oh shit, the Mets type of thing. Uh, it, the, the conversation has changed. And I think a lot of that deserves to go to a lot of the credit deserves to go to um, clearly Steve Cohen for, for the ownership. But also it trickles down to Billy Epler and Buck Showalter. So definitely they deserve a lot of credit. Uh, my last question is, I, I know you're a Queens native. How excited were you to shift over to the Mets beat this year? And like, do you remember growing up watching the Mets? Like, do you have any early childhood memories of baseball that includes the Mets? Yeah, man. My team was, um, I had the infield of like Alfonso at third uh, or at second, uh, John Olerud at first, uh, Robin Ventura at third, Ray Ardonia's at shortstop. So I was like really spoiled with like great defense. Um, and that was a, when, that was like late 90s, 2000, that era. So when I became a fan at first, I thought this was going to be like a really good team for a very long time type of thing. Uh, that didn't really occur, right? Like those early 2000s suddenly became very, very bad. Um, so I think that naturally like had a lot of like influence on how I view teams and who I root for beyond baseball. Um, Cause you have to have long suffering is like the best adjective for this, for this group um, of fans. I feel like in a lot of ways, um, but I, I was pretty psyched up about it. I mean, I like covering the Brewers. I was covering the Brewers for the past three seasons. Um, I enjoyed it very much. It was my first baseball job as a reporter. I was covering college football for a handful of years prior to that. I'd always wanted to cover baseball. And I mean, there's no better time to be covering the Mets. And I'm really fortunate to be in the situation for the with the athletic because I feel like, I mean, we spent a good 45 minutes talking about this team. It's just a fascinating team. So like as a writer, as a journalist, like you're never bored. Like you're never like, man, I got, I got shit to write about today. Like, no, you got like tons of things to write about today. Like, and that's the case every day with this team. So it's really fun, man. And I'm very fortunate to be um, in the situation I am. I have a great partner also with Tim Britton with the athletic. Uh, we covered a team together. So it's just, a, it's been a blast so far. And um, yeah, hopefully um, the good times keep going and it'll be a nonetheless interesting one way or the other for in 2023. No doubt about that. Well, I hope that it's interesting in a good way for you, at <laughs> least, at least close to a good way. Um, some playoffs and stuff there. Cause I don't know. I don't know if I'll pick them to win again this year, Jay. I think I learned my lesson after last year, but they'll be, they'll be in the, in the hunt for me at least. But Will, man, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Really appreciate it. Have some great insight into the Mets there and look forward to talking to you in the future, man. Yeah, let's do it again sometime, guys. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.